Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Welcome to Back from the Borderline. It's so good to be back with you today. I'm your host, Molly. And wow, it's been quite a week. As the year comes to a close, I feel like it's a busy time for people. It's an emotional time for people. I think it's pretty normal as well to start feeling like a natural awareness of things that you're (laughs) sick of about yourself maybe sick of about how your life is going and this just need to release what no longer is serving you and instead of fighting those feelings like I typically do every year this year I have been embracing that natural feeling that comes up And asking myself, what can I shed? What can I do away with that's no longer serving me? And I encourage you, my amazing, fabulous listener, to also do that. What can you release? So I've been watching the latest season of The Crown. I really like The Crown on Netflix. And something was shared in one of the episodes that made me like stop rewind and listen to it again there's a scene where the queen is preparing a a speech some kind of like announcement that she's going to make on tv i can't remember exactly what's going on in this particular scene but the queen's mother said something to her and said You must ask yourself three things before you decide to say anything. Number one, does this need to be said? Two, does this need to be said by me? And number three, does this need to be said by me now? And I thought, wow, that's fucking amazing. And... For those of you who are longer term listeners of the podcast, you know that one of the things that I bang on about so often is the idea that we need to put some space between our big feelings and our reactions because the majority of chaos in my life has typically stemmed from me just spouting off whatever the fuck reactive thing I need to say or feeling like I need to add my two cents in. And that has led me to put my foot in my mouth so often. And something that I've learned just in the last year that has been dramatically transformative is just trying to say nothing, wait, 
and putting some space between those feelings that you get that almost that like urge that you have to say something or you have to react or you need to do it right now right? Like for me, that's like, I need to do my, I need, I decide I want to dye my hair. So I have to do it right now. I want to get a tattoo. So I have to do it right now. I want to maybe move. So I have to plan it all and do it right now. Quitting your job right now. I assume you're probably nodding your head (laughs) actively along with this, or maybe inside your own mind, because the vast majority of people who listen to this podcast relate to that. They relate to that just urge. And so when I heard this quote, and I have heard it before, I've heard these, this positioning of you should ask yourself these three things, but it hearing it on the crown just made me go, wow, because if you are a monarch, right, you have to be very careful about the things that you say, because as Queen Elizabeth, you know, she went out and gave a speech that will be memorialized in history forever. So when you're a public figure, you have to be pretty careful and measured about the things that you say because they can have an impact on history, on more people than just you. And ditto with presidents or whatever, whether or not public figures do a good job of this all the time, people are human beings. But the next time you feel the urge to add your two cents in, chime in, or give someone unsolicited advice, or post something on social media that's maybe reactive. Ask yourself, does this need to be said at all? Does this need to be said by me? And does this need to be said by me right now? And if it doesn't pass that test, then maybe it's best to just say nothing for the moment and think about it a little bit more. Nothing bad can ever come from waiting and pausing typically, but a lot more fallout can come when you decide to just spout off without really thinking about it. Another thing that's been really helping me lately is a sticky note that I have saved on my MacBook right now. And I wrote, pause, don't react. If you must react, make it positive. And this has helped me a lot too. This isn't toxic positivity. It's not like you have to paste a fake smile on your face. But what this sticky note is on my computer reminding me of is that I need to try and foster a more collaborative, supportive attitude rather than one of resistance and reaction because lately my big thing that I'm working on in the place that I am in my own journey, my own recovery path is my, again, my need to just say something, to react also kind of to put a filter of resistance and anger and frustration over everything. And I need to take the path of least resistance. How can I add some love to this interaction? How can I add some collaboration and cooperation to this? How can I embody the campsite rule? And if you're not familiar with the campsite rule, the campsite rule is leave your campsite in a better state than you found it. And that's like when you go camping, right? It's just like, you're not going to go camping 
and make some s'mores and camp and leave the place a shit show with all of your trash and you clean it and make it beautiful again and maybe even nicer so that the next person that uses the campsite has a beautiful place to camp. Embody this in your own life too. How can you embody the campsite rule in your interactions with the people that you love at work to yourself? Think about that. So pause, don't react. If you must make it positive before you say anything, ask yourself, does it need to be said? Does it need to be said by me? And does this need to be said by me right now? Consider writing these things down and putting them up somewhere where you see them all the time. It's incredibly helpful and our brains are wired in this way because when we were younger, it was probably adaptive to be able to spot danger, spot people that we couldn't trust, shut ourselves down so that we didn't get hurt. Now, as adults, we must try and unfuck our brains a little bit, undo some of this programming so that we can start realizing that we are in control now, we are our own parents now, and how can we open up and use the power of our ability to say things to add love and build people up and foster collaboration rather than to tear things down, pick them apart, react negatively or emotionally without really thinking it through. And if you really look critically at this, not with shame, not being hard on yourself, because beating yourself up isn't going to do anything. But what you can do is zoom out, be a scientist, and kind of look at your life and the drama that's unfolded and see, "Mm, maybe how did I pour a little bit of reactive gasoline on this? How could I have maybe just followed these two principles that I shared with you? where it's like really reflecting, does it need to be said? Does it need to be said by me? Does it need to be said by me right now? Have you maybe reacted and pointed out flaws in things and expected perfection out of people and idealized people? And then when they didn't meet these impossible expectations, did you use it to confirm that these stories that you're making up in your mind are proving that the world is a horrible place full of horrible people? These are the kind of things that end up creating chaos in our lives and creating this self-fulfilling prophecy that we're going to get left and that life is horrible and that we can't change. And none of that is true. So I hope those little phrases help you out. Something else that I've been thinking a lot about this week and have received quite a few voicemails over the last three to six months have been pertaining to BPD and teenagers. This is a subject that I have tiptoed around a bit and similar to the episode that I released last week about how to deal with emotion dysregulation in the workplace. This is one that I've been sitting on, percolating on, And I didn't want to respond until I felt like I had something really meaningful to share. And before we talk about this subject, especially since it pertains to people that are underage 
it's just a quick reminder that I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist of any kind. I don't have any certifications other than the hard knock school of life, (laughs) being a teenage girl at one point in my life and dealing with a very emotional, chaotic, depressing, traumatic, wild teenagehood. So, and with a really, really rough relationship with my parents throughout that time. And probably if I would have gone and sought it out, a person in the mental health field who believed in throwing diagnostic labels around, they probably would have diagnosed me with something like BPD in those times. So what I'm going to do before we dive into this topic briefly, this whole episode isn't going to be about teens and BPD, but I've received enough voicemails from both parents and teenagers emailing me and voicemails that I thought I would respond to it a bit with some new research that I came across this week. So let's hear from a few of these listeners who submitted voicemails about teens and BPD. Hi, Molly. I am a longtime listener. I'm 54 years old, mother of three. I have my third child has about two years ago was diagnosed with borderline traits and I did some serious looking inward um, at that point since my other two children also struggles. So I was like, hmm, I might be the common denominator. I sound a lot like your mom, actually. And through our journey, um, she has done DBT. And at this point, she thinks it's dumb and doesn't want to do it anymore. And I think your podcast would be great for her to listen to. The only problem is if I bring it up to her and have her just try to start listening, um, she doesn't like to do anything I ask her to do. So I was wondering if, I don't know if you want to do a podcast on it or if you can just let me know five great episodes that a teenager could listen to that are struggling with relationships and emotional regulation and all that good stuff. Thanks, Molly. You're a lifesaver. I'm going to respond to each of these questions, but I'm going to play all the voicemails first and then respond. So Catherine actually sent me another voicemail. So I'm going to play that too. Hey, Molly. I'm a premium subscriber and a Patreon member and a longtime listener to your podcast. I have three children And at one point, if this tells you anything, someone told me all three have borderline traits. (laughs) Uh, I've had a daughter with anorexia, a son with depression, and my third attempted suicide. So I finally had that enlightenment and realized I need to look inward and have been on my hero's journey for about a year and a half. Um... I wanted to ask this morning, uh, I, I love your podcasts and I get so much from them, but as being the mother of 
the children, I would love a podcast from that perspective, like things that you could tell me that could really help me, um, parenting, uh, my daughter. And one big question that happened this morning was the splitting And I would love to hear from your point of view, you being a teenager once with this type of parent, how you, what you would say, um, love you. Thanks so much. All right. Let's now hear a voicemail from Sue. Molly, my name is Sue and I started listening to your podcast. Oh, I'm guessing about nine months ago. When I first got on the waiting list for the National Education Alliance of Borderline Personality Disorder um, to take the Family Connections class, which I am now um, in, gratefully in, and I think we just completed our seventh class last night. So that was Wednesday. I listened to your podcast with Catherine on Tuesday. And if there's anybody listening that is on the waiting list, it certainly is worth your time and effort. Um, it does, in fact, the class does lessen burden, depression, guilt, responsibility, all the enmeshment kind of stuff that happens when it, when it comes to somebody who in your family you love and you have, they have, um, a challenge and I'm going to call the borderline personality disorder symptoms challenges. So Molly, um, you have really helped me understand, um, your side of it, you, you grouping you as people with um, the border who identify with the symptoms. But I have to tell you that in my listening to your podcasts and all the beautiful professional people that you have interviewed, um, I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about how my trauma has affected me and how my dysregulation affects other people. So that was the voicemail from Sue. And we're going to finish with Claudia. And Sue's voicemail was cut off a little bit. I think she ran out of time, so that's why it ended quite abruptly. But let's hear from Claudia, and then I'm going to respond to all of these things. Hey, Molly. I'm Claudia, and I'm recording from Mozambique. And I'm also 15, which is where the problem lies. I, Especially after listening to your podcast, I realized that a lot of the things I didn't want to accept actually resonate with me a lot. And for the first time, I really felt understood and And I finally gained the courage to kind of explain it to myself in a way and like let myself know that this is actually what's going on. But then even more courage to talk to my therapist about it. But once I did, I was completely shut down simply because of my age. And I've done a lot of research that says that it's extremely unlikely for someone my age or younger to be diagnosed with BPD just because of hormones and all those things. And I've tried having several discussions with my therapist about it, but I guess I could say she's very like stuck on the idea that it's just not possible for me to be going through what I'm going through and that it could all be explained by simply being a teenager. So I'd like to know your opinions on it. And and yeah, basically. So I want to thank Catherine, Sue, and Claudia for reaching out. As I said before, I've received countless emails, Instagram DMs, voicemails, all about this topic, which is teenage BPD and whether teenagers can have BPD and 
how to deal as a parent when you feel like your teen has BPD. And this is a complex topic, but if you listen to this podcast, you know that my core belief is that personalities cannot be disordered. Personalities are not fixed. Our personalities change as we grow up and mature. I am not the same person I was when I was 15. I talked about this on a few episodes now, so I'll keep it short for people who listen regularly. But this summer, I was exposed to some AOL instant messenger conversations that I had printed out and saved in my childhood home. And I got to actually go back and read some conversations that I had had back and forth with friends and like drama when I was between the ages of 14 and 16. And it was like I was reading the words of someone else. I am not the same person. And there is nothing more frustrating when you are a teenager going through the hell that is being a teenager. And it's even harder when you are emotionally intense, probably pretty gifted, very intuitive, and thinking about big existential things. And then you are in today's chronically online society, it is normal to have all of these feelings, but it is infuriating to hear from adults and professionals that it's just part of being a teenager. That's fucking infuriating to hear when you're a teenager. Is it true what the adults are saying? Is there an aspect of truth there? Absolutely. Now that I'm 33 years old, I look back and I'm like, I look back at these AOL instant messenger conversations that I printed out. And I remember thinking that was the end of the fucking world, that, that situation. And it did. I was being bullied online. It was horrible. But now I look back and I can actually see the part that I played in the whole drama. I can see that these were other kids who were also going through their own traumas. And then we were in the wild west of the internet, having AOL instant messenger that made it a lot easier to say mean shit to each other because we were behind a screen. And then our parents had no idea what was going on because they were outside of it all. And it just made you feel like you were suffering so deeply and so alone. And so that's what comes up for me when I listen to these voicemails. So I want to go person by person and respond. And then I want to share a little bit from some research that I've come across this week. So first, Claudia, 15-year-old from Mozambique. I just want to say, Claudia, thank you for calling in. I think that it is incredibly brave and amazing that you are listening to the podcast and feeling validated and seen by some of the things that I'm sharing and likely that other listeners are sharing too. And you said that this has helped you feel understood and even helped you gain the courage to approach your therapist about this. 
Now, as I said, I'm not a therapist. I'm only hearing your side of the situation. I'm only hearing your voicemail, but you did mention that the therapist quote, shut you down because of your age and that you've done a lot of research and you're finding that it's quote, unlikely for someone your age to be diagnosed with BPD because of what you said, hormones and all those things, right? And that you've tried having discussions with your therapist, but the therapist is stuck on the idea that it's not possible for you to have BPD because you're a teenager. And my question to you is this, think about it like this. Your therapist is likely a grown-ass woman, and I don't know her story. I don't know her therapeutic modalities. I don't know what her beliefs are about the medical model of mental illness and access to personality disorder diagnoses, which is what borderline personality disorder is. But Claudia, there is a chance that your therapist, even though you're feeling very shut down by her not wanting to slap you with the BPD diagnosis when you're 15 years old, but there is good in this as well. I don't believe that anyone should be getting a BPD diagnosis at this point. That's my personal opinion. And there is a flood of new evidence coming out that these diagnostic labels are incredibly harmful. And not only that, there is not enough research behind them to prove that they even exist. Can the frameworks help us? Can the symptomology be helpful? This cluster of symptoms that what is known as BPD, it's helpful in that we can relate to it. It gives us something to grasp onto and say, hey, I relate to this. It helps us feel seen, right? But you don't need to have a diagnostic label thrown on your permanent medical records to feel seen and heard and understood by this symptomology. I'm going to do an episode in the future about this article that I came across and it's called Symptoms, Not Syndromes. And it all talks all about, it's by a psychologist and he's talking all about how helpful and illuminating talking about symptoms can be, right? I'm experiencing anxiety, depression, racing thoughts, um, chronic feelings of emptiness, difficulties with eating and et cetera, et cetera. We could list all the mental health symptoms that can be really liberating and it can be really helpful in alchemizing our shame because when we talk openly about these things, it helps us feel not alone. And I think that's been why my podcast has blown up over this last year. And I'd love for you to think about the bravery that you displayed and going and speaking to your therapist about this, but you don't have to have a label of BPD to start better understanding the symptoms that you display, better understanding that some of these things that you are noticing about yourself displays that you're incredibly self-aware. And yes, Teenage life is really difficult. There are surging hormones. Being a teenager, that's the time where we're really trying to explore our identity. We're trying to bust out of the frameworks pushed upon us by our parents. It's normal to be feeling really dysregulated. And so I just want you to know that your therapist may not be shutting you down. She might just be asking you, 
or wanting you to not get so stuck on needing this label because you don't need a label to start becoming a more fully integrated person, to start knowing who you are. If you identify with BPD symptomology, you can still look into dialectical behavioral therapy, schema-focused therapy, mentalization therapy, mindfulness techniques. All of these things are known to help anyone who identifies with BPD traits, and there is an abundance of free online resources, and you can just start diving into those and working on these things. And I just can't stress enough how amazing it is that at 15 years old, you are displaying enough self-awareness that you're starting to recognize what might not be serving you. Now, I'd love to respond to both Sue and Catherine. I just want to reach out and provide the biggest virtual hug to Sue and Catherine, these two epic moms who are also displaying incredible levels of self-awareness, wanting so badly to help their children, zooming out and maybe saying, huh, maybe I played a part in this. Maybe I need to look and offer myself compassion and love and heal my own trauma, right? That's really beautiful. And I think you deserve huge pats on the back for that. I can't imagine how difficult it must be in your shoes. In retrospect, I have compassion for my mom specifically for the tumultuous times we went through when I was a teenager. It was rough. I was so angry and poisonous to my mom. I had a lot of resentment about stuff that I went through as a child and I really took it out on my mom because my mom was the more passive one. And so I feel like my mom got most of my like poisonous, spiteful anger. And for that, I do feel bad, but I also release myself from that shame because again, I was a teenager and now growing up, I'm able to see the nuance. Something that I want to share with both Catherine and Sue and any parent that's out there listening, and even those of us who are listening as individuals who identify with these traits ourselves, is that when we're teenagers, even now as a society, but especially when we're teenagers, it is very hard to understand nuance. It's very hard to understand the gray areas. It's hard to understand that feelings aren't forever. It's hard to comprehend that when we're older, we'll look back on these times in our lives and they won't be that serious. So just know that. Knowing that is enough. What I wish that I would have gotten when I was younger were parents that sat down and said, I know this is hard. I remember what it felt like to be a teenager, but I can't even imagine what it must feel like to be a teenager growing up with the chronically online culture. Teenagers and all of us right now are bombarded constantly with shit from every single angle. There's no time to be alone with our thoughts and we're so addicted and switched on and connected that when we are disconnected, it's like that's our whole identity. It's a lot more difficult now 
in our current culture, I feel like to be a teenager. And that's something that as parents, I really hope that parents out there listening are understanding that about their teens. It's a whole different ball game right now. And Catherine, especially, I heard in your voice, this, this regret, this blaming of yourself. And I heard it a little bit with Sue as well. And it's fantastic that Sue is able to join the family connections program. It's a free program with NEA BPD that family members and loved ones can sign up for that will help support them in supporting their loved one who identifies with BPD traits. I did a whole episode on this if you want to go and listen to it. But Catherine and Sue, blaming yourself isn't going to help anyone. And I want you to remember that this isn't just about your parenting. That definitely plays a part. But mental illness is a biopsychosocial model. And what that means is that there's a biological aspect. And by that, I don't mean that we have are biologically broken and our brains are broken. I mean that some of us are wired more intensely, more impulsively, more emotionally than others. And that can cause a little bit of a a poor fit between child and caregiver. So if you have a really emotional and intense child, and then you have a parent who's a little more subdued, introverted, and analytical, it's like you're not speaking the same language. And that might get easier like it has for me and my parents as I've gotten older and then I've kind of better understood myself and I better understand interacting people that are wired differently than me. But know that as a teenager, when we're wired naturally, really emotional, really sensitive, really intense, it's almost like the dials are turned up on those traits when we're a teenager. And you just have to ride the wave and accept your teen's for the way they are. Catherine asked, you know, what are things that I wish I had growing up? And it was just that. It was sitting with me, understanding, providing empathy, not telling me that, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It'll get better. Just sitting in it with me and not trying to control or fix because my big emotions made you uncomfortable as a parent. That was a really isolating feeling for me as a teenager. And I laughed because you said you really wanted your daughter to listen to the podcast, but you know that if you recommend it, that your daughter is going to be like, yeah, fuck this. (laughs) Because probably, and I'm trying to think of a way that you could introduce her to the podcast and maybe you can show her my Instagram first because it's just a bunch of pictures and just share it with her. My Instagram is back from the borderline and I feel like that's a good way to baby step into my content, but also just know that she will find her way if you are just there to sit with her through this and not try to change it not try to tell her that she's broken or anything's wrong with her and also not piling on the blame on yourself. It's also society. It's also social media. It's also the state of the world that we're living in right now. Can you imagine being a young person and feeling the pressure of having to go out into the world as it is now 
as an adult, it's a lot. And you shared that your daughter thinks that DBT is dumb. And I can also understand where she's probably coming from because DBT is like homework. I started doing DBT and it wasn't for me. And here's why, because it just felt like work and it felt like all these worksheets that I had to fill out, all these acronyms and abbreviations that I had to remember. And it was just really overwhelming. And I think I understand why DBT is so effective because it's measurable and there's a scientific base to it that makes it a proven therapeutic modality, but especially a teenager who's already overwhelmed and is probably already in school, already has homework, DBT could probably feel like just another homework class that she has to take that's all about her being a broken, fucked up person. And so I get it. And if she's already been labeled with a BPD diagnosis, I just think feeling like you have a disordered personality as a teenager is probably one of the most awful things to pile on a teenager because how are you supposed to have hope? How are you supposed to even want to plan for your future when you feel like you are disordered and your brain is broken? And when they go on online and a teenager looks up stuff about BPD, they're going to come across some awful stuff, stigmatizing stuff. And again, remember they're looking at this through the brain of a teenager, which has a lot of trouble with understanding nuance, understanding what is and what is not a reputable source. It's awful. So I hope this is helpful. I don't know the fix for this. I don't know how to change it. It filled me with so much sadness and empathy for you hearing that you have a daughter with anorexia, son with depression, and a daughter who also attempted suicide. And you're thinking that all three children have borderline traits. I really think that every teenager probably, if you showed them the list of borderline traits, any teenager I'm sure that probably any teenager at some point in their development in these stages would identify with enough of those traits to get a fully fledged BPD diagnosis. And there's a reason why clinicians are hesitant to hand these out to young developing people. It's because it is so normal for teenagehood to be an absolute chaotic shit show. And as I said before, never forget that we are in unprecedented times. We are in chronically online times. I know this might be difficult, but you know, when I have a kid, I'm going to really try to not let my kids sleep with their phone in their room. And that means I have to lead by example. Like I want, I sleep with my phone out of my room. So does Zaz. Phones should be out of the room. There should be times where social media is on and it's off, right? But that can be really difficult. I can only imagine how hard that would be to implement with teenagers who are already chronically online. It's almost like you have to start with it at a young age. So as I said, I don't have all the answers, but what I do have is a deep understanding of Claudia, how you must be feeling, and definitely how probably Catherine and Sue's children must be feeling too. I'm going to read a tiny bit of this 
research that I came across. It's from a paper. I just took a screenshot of it. I really should have been better at tracking where I got this from, but I'm pretty sure it's from a paper called uh, Spiritual Psychology and Counseling. And remember when I say spiritual, this is not religious. There's a huge difference between religion and spirituality. When we talk about spiritual, it's just a more humanistic approach, thinking about the bigger picture of development and thinking about the human spirit and soul, not just looking at treating quote unquote mental illness through the medical model of diagnosing people with disorder labels and saying they have chemical imbalances in their brain, right? This is looking at human development and human evolution and human psychology from a much more holistic and spiritual perspective, which for me has been transformative. So I'm going to read a little bit of it. This is, you know, page 94 in this document. So it says, when the findings obtained from the interviews carried out with the participants of our study at the pre-interview step are interpreted as a whole, it is seen that almost all the participants met with alcohol or drugs in the friendship environment during their early teenage years. It seems that they tried the substance in a friendship environment where they felt comfortable and safe. Erickson states that the psychosocial crisis of adolescence is identity confusion. According to him, the influence of parents on the individual decreases, while the influence of peer groups increases during this process. So I'm going to continue in a minute, just finishing the little bit that I screenshot from this study. We need to talk about this, this identity confusion. Identity confusion is one of the primary developmental steps in adolescence. You start to realize that maybe your parents don't have all the answers and (laughs) They're on the right lines. Teenagers are at this because our parents don't have all the answers. I think you can relate to how it feels to kind of start seeing your parents as humans. And it's kind of a scary thing. Like when you start recognizing that your parents aren't gods and they are just fallible human beings that make mistakes and maybe they don't have all the answers. So it starts to feel a little bit unsafe. And so you go seeking out answers. But where we fuck up as teenagers is we put all the emphasis on on our peer groups, which is extremely unhelpful because that means that we are getting all of our validation, all of our advice, and taking to heart things that are being said and fed to us by a bunch of other teenagers, and maybe now even more harmfully, influencers online that are not even showing a realistic way that life is and how human emotions are. So imagine being a teenager and you start to naturally turn away from your parents, but then place all the importance on your peer groups and the people you're seeing online. Makes perfect sense why this would fuck us up. So the study goes on to say, therefore, to be part of the peer group, a young person tends to adopt to the values of peer groups and fulfill those values both verbally and behaviorally. Another issue is that during adolescence, when young people try to find out who they are, they try to separate themselves from their parents and struggle to become independent and identify with people or groups they might feel close to. 
Therefore, it appears that the participants did not manage their search for independence well in adolescence. That's another thing here, and it confirms what we've just talked about. It's natural to push away from your parents and seek other ways to be independent as a teenager, but this takes a dark turn when we seek guidance in the wrong places, which is usually peer groups that are just as confused as we are, online influencers who are just trying to peddle products and sell an unrealistic body image and lifestyle. So the study goes on to say another characteristic of the adolescence period is that the brain has not yet completed its development. Studies have reported that the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for skills such as decision-making, reasoning, and evaluation, is underdeveloped in the adolescent brain, but the limbic system, which is the emotional center, develops very well. This situation causes young people to display risk-prone, impulsive, moody, and emotional behaviors. In our study, it was determined that some of the participants preferred addictive substances as a coping tool when they could not face the problems they experienced. Studies indicate that the insufficient development of coping skills, especially in the young group, is considered a risk factor for addiction and other symptoms. It has been reported that some individuals with insufficient coping skills take shelter in addictive substances and develop tolerance to addictive substances over time and become addicted. So as you can see, this particular study is about teenage addiction, but it can just as easily be put in the framework of BPD symptomology. Something that did not help me when I was younger, and my mom and I have talked about this, so if she hears it one day listening to the podcast, she'll know that we've already talked about it, but my mom reminded me many times when I was a teenager that my brain was not done developing yet. (laughs) Not helpful, right? True, yes, but not helpful. That's another thing that we should bring up here. There are some things that are true that just shouldn't be said. It takes us back to the beginning of this episode. Like, does this need to be said at all? Does this need to be said by me? And does this need to be said right now? I think parents could also take this advice. Do you think that hearing that your brain is not done developing is going to be helpful at all to for a teenager that's going through hell in their developmental process? Probably not. Because when you're a teenager, you feel like your brain is done developing. You feel like you are invincible. You feel like you know everything. You feel like it is the worst time you've ever experienced and it's never going to get better. And it feels real, right? Even now. There are times when if I get myself really worked up, I will go to my partner's ass and tell him like the sky is falling, everything's falling apart. And when I'm done telling him the story, he's like, Molly, it's not that serious, right? Not in an invalidating way, but he's like, let's walk this back. Like maybe you're just very dysregulated right now. And I can see that, but it's not helpful to tell someone that their brain's not done developing. But what you can do if you are a parent is have that in your mind and use that as empathy for your teens. I feel like we've got a lot of helicopter parents right now, and I'm not calling Catherine or Sue helicopter parents because I don't know, but we have this thing where parents are just like obsessed with needing to fix their child and find out what's wrong and they're hovering and they're trying to control and fix. And they forget that messing up 
crying, feeling emotional, having big explosive feelings, struggling to know who we are. It's all part of growing up. It's part of the hero's journey, which I talk about in the premium version of the podcast, right? And if you're interested in hearing about the hero's journey, you can sign up by going to backfromtheborderline.com and clicking unlock premium access. And Catherine, I was super excited to hear that you're already a premium subscriber. So you probably know all about the hero's journey by now, by listening to my series on it. We have to go through these trials. Movies like Harry Potter, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, all of these movies depict a hero going through trials and tribulations, finding out that they have special powers and figuring out how that they can leave their safe, comfy home, go out into the world, experience hell, get put through by hell, fight off all the monsters, and then come back home renewed, reborn, and understanding who they are and their purpose in the world. We are all going through that as well, each and every one of us, and the journey never stops. And so teenagers are experiencing this really intensely and for the very first time. So have some serious empathy for your teens. And I think this will be really helpful for all of us to hear, even if you aren't a teenager right now, even if you aren't a parent of a teen who identifies with BPD, the majority of my listeners are adults who have either had a BPD diagnosis or identify with just being really emotionally intense, having existential thoughts and struggling to maintain interpersonal and intimate relationships because of adaptive behaviors that were adaptive and kept us safe as children, but now have become maladaptive and are keeping us stuck in these perpetual self-sabotaging loops as adults. This can be helpful for you too, listener, who fits that archetype because it can help you go back and better understand maybe you're still stuck in some of these teenage loops. Maybe you're still kind of acting like that teenager. Maybe it's time to recognize that and we all got to grow up. That happened to me. I was acting like a fully fledged teenager my entire 20s. And also understanding maybe a little bit better what it was like for your parents dealing with that. Maybe your parents are stuck as this teenage version of themselves too. They're not equipped to guide a young person through the trials and tribulations of life when they haven't even guided themselves through that or had someone to guide them. This is pure generational trauma stuff. I said this wasn't going to be a whole episode about this, but it turned out that it was. And I'm glad that it was because I feel like this is so incredibly important for all of us because this part of us really needs to be healed. Teenagers out there need to hear this. Parents of current teenagers need to hear this. And those of us as adults and parents even with grown children, and they're looking back and thinking, God, maybe I fucked this up. We all need to let ourselves off the hook a little more. We all need to maybe even let our parents off the hook a little bit and offer ourselves teenagers all around the world right now a hell of a lot of compassion because it's hard out here right now. (laughs) I am hoping I can become a parent in the next few years. And I would be lying if I said I wasn't 
really nervous about that. The older I get and the closer I get to having a kid, I get more and more nervous about being a parent because of the responsibility, the weight of that role to play for a developing person. And not only that, knowing the state of the world right now, it's a lot to grapple with. So I hope this has been helpful for you. Big shout out and thanks to Catherine, Claudia, and Sue for your voicemails. If you want to hear your voice on the podcast, you can leave a voicemail by going to backfromtheborderline.com and clicking the little microphone icon. If you want to follow me on Instagram and see the little mood board pictures that I post every day, you can find me at backfromtheborderline on Instagram. Hit that follow button. And if you like the podcast, I get so many messages, especially on Instagram emails, saying how much you appreciate the podcast. If you can write a review and write that in a review, either on my website or on Apple Podcasts, or if the platform you listen on allows for reviews, that helps me so, so much. So if you can do that, I read all the reviews and I appreciate them. So if you can, instead of emailing me that stuff, put it in a review not only does it help me and validate that what I'm doing is helpful it also helps other people find the podcast and understand the value it brings if you would like more and you want to dive even deeper under the hood you definitely need to subscribe to the premium access version of the podcast I provide additional weekly episodes where we go deeper we go more behind the scenes you get a little closer and more intimate with me so if you want to do that you also can do that on the website again click back from the borderline.com and click unlock premium access so i hope you have a great rest of your week i can't wait to see you right back here next tuesday now remember your homework assignment this week is to remember and keep in mind, pause, don't react. And if you must react, make it positive, collaborative, and fill it with love. And also ask yourself these three things before you say anything. One, does this need to be said? Does this need to be said by me? And does this need to be said by me right now? and watch the changes that happen in your life. Have a great one. Talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.